Are you guys playing? Or no? no Do no, you want to no. play? <laughs> Are you ready to play? Are you crazy? Excuse me? Go away! I'm not doing get it, out no. my face. Scream, get my Glock! Let's do this. Was that our intro? No. That was a long ass intro. No. That is not our intro. For the love of God, that is not our intro. I mean, it okay, you know what? I was about to say it could be, but you know what? It can't. We cannot for legal reasons. And for my safety. And the safety of those mentioned. And your mental safety. <sighs> Jesus goddamn Christ. Mm -hmm. And my emotional safety. It's for everybody's safety. Everybody, everybody, and anything. So yeah, sorry guys. This is, uh, again, one of those uh, intros you will never be hearing. Thank God almighty. Because I do not want to have a restraining order on me or be put to jail. Or be put down. All valid concerns. Yeah. Especially Sass. She's going to be put down first. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, apparently, I guess <laughs> since I'm here, I'm an accessory after the fact. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and also, I guess I can, I'm helping conspire, helping you to conspire something. <laughs> it's not murder, people. We promise. Yeah. It's not. Right. <laughs> I didn't say it was. They didn't think. They didn't say it was. Who said it was? Besides you. Oh my god! Now it's worse. <laughs> we might as well just say it's murder and just like it's better than the other options. Yeah, that actually sounds sounds better. Oh my god. Anyway, I'm gonna lie. anyway, uh, yeah, we went through a whole thing. Now I am emotionally drained because this bitch got me through a hula hoop. Well, at least she got you out of it too. True. I mean, yeah, you throw the people into the water that can't swim, but you save them. Oh. But you toss them in there too. I got a hero complex. Damn. Listen, therapy's tomorrow for you. Just saying. No, it's not. Oh, shit. It's it got rescheduled. rescheduled. <laughs> I got three days. Me too. Thursday. Oh, me too. Ah! Okay. Yay. Wow. Even with scheduled, we're on the same day. I love it. <laughs> I told my therapist that we both have therapy at the mm -hmm. same day. And they're like, oh, how's that? I was like, I fucking love it. Right? And I, wow. You are here again with the themes. <laughs> it, it follows us and we just gotta embrace it and just love it as much as i do because i do love when we have our themes i think i give up now officially i just i just take it now yay i just i accept the themes now they just don't stop no and they won't and this actually we, we might not have a theme this week so this is totally different than last one. Okay, good. I get to ease into it. Yes. I'm like so me that you just threw me into the water and just decided to have me drown for a little bit. Not long enough. I just en you. enough for me to have CPR done to me. I must say I pulled you out. <laughs> I came back. Before too much water went inside. I came back. Okay. So, I've been scouring the globe for rituals and practices that fit our shtick here at We Don't Play Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I was too. I was scrolling too, for too goddamn long. It happens. But this one I'm very proud of to say that it fits very well to what we do. Okay. Yeah. I will be talking about post-mortem photography. I like it. I like it. I don't know much about it, but I like it. Neither did I. It's super creepy. I and very anticlimactic. Honestly, because like, the first thing that I thought about when I first heard uh, post-mortem photography was a haunting in Connecticut. Right. Because apparently they had that a lot. Yeah. And that was their intro also. They showed like different like mm -hmm. pictures and postmortem pictures. So I was like, oh my god, this is so fucking creepy, disturbing. Mm -hmm. The history is not as crazy as the movies make it. No no surprise there. Of course, fucking Hollywood, Hollywood. has to yeah. big it up. Mm -hmm. It is also known as a memorial portraiture or a mourning portrait. 
It is the practice of photographing the recently deceased. Various cultures use and have used this practice, though the best studied areas of postmortem photography is in Europe and good old America. Oh, of course, especially during the Victorian era. America. There are disputes on whether the individuals in early photographs were actually dead due to it being often sharpened for commercial means. Like, for example, the media. Like the medium era of um, spiritualism. Yeah. It's not exactly post-mortem photography, but the photographing of dead bodies is still used to this day in the most common context of police and pathology work. Oh, of course, because you need that for evidence. Exactly. So the definition of... I can never... Even <laughs> typing it, I was like, I can never say this right. Daguerreotype, which is pretty much... First photography, the first known use of photography, which was in 1839, made portraiture much more commonplace, as many of those who were unable to afford a commission of a painted portrait could actually afford to sit for a photography session. So instead of it being painted, now you can take a photo. Click, click. Uh, this cheaper and quicker method also provided the middle class with a means of memorializing dead loved ones. Before the technological advancements, postmortem portraiture was restricted to the upper class, who continued to commemorate the dead with this new method. In the early days, no one really posed the bodies or cleaned them up. A poor family might lay a nice dress across the body before the photograph was taken, but there was little beautifying of the corpse, so they just like did with what they could with the bodies, especially if you didn't have a lot of money. Right, yeah, definitely. They just put on their Sunday best, and that was literally it. Like, yo, get her best dress. Just just go get that, because we can't afford to use a rouge on her. Yeah, <laughs> a good rouge. Love a good rouge. Because people during this period died in their homes rather than hospitals, f- photographers made house calls to take the pictures. Americans kept the photos in hard cases that they might display on their mantle or keep in private. In Europe, though, it was more common to frame these photos and hang them on the walls. So, yeah, you can have your dead grandma, like, taking a picture right there on your wall. Right. For all to see. Mm, I don't know about that She's one. dead. Yeah, so I don't know picture. about that one. And if back then you wasn't really cleaning up the button, I don't know about that one. Yeah, some of these pictures were actually very terrifying to look at, like, you just know that they're dead. Yeah, because you can see it. Yeah. And at the same time, like, yo, do you think about it? Do you really want, do you think they really want you to display them like that? It's it's very, very morbid. Yeah. I get it, though. Um, so postmortem photography was very common in the 19th century when death, when quote unquote, death occurred in the home and was quite an ordinary, an ordinary part of life. People back then gave little to no shits about death. Like, they kind of embraced the fuck out of it. Oh, of course. They literally dealt with it like it was a Tuesday. As photography was a new medium, it is plausible that many daguerreotypes, post-mortem portraits, especially of infants and young children, were probably the only pictures they ever had of them. Mm Mm-hmm. The long exposure time made deceased subjects easy to photograph. So that's why... Yeah, because I know, I know back then you had to sit still for a long period of time. For a long ass t- time. And, you know, I guess if you're dead, you, you don't have to worry about that. Don't have a choice. It, it's kind of sad that that's the only pictures they have of them, though. Yeah, that's true. I guess, remember, this stuff, it was cheaper than getting a portrait done, but it was still expensive for quite a few people. Yeah. So they could, oh, a lot of times, 
the only picture they could afford was when you die. Yeah, because imagine having to retake it. This is like a one-shot wonder. You mm-hmm. fuck up once, that's it. That's already your money spent. Yeah. That you have. Um, but yeah, it's pretty sad. Um, postmortem photography flourished in photography's early decades since clients preferred to have a picture of a deceased loved one than no picture at all. According to Mary Warner Marion, who was a researcher during this era, which is fair, honestly. Like, that's the only picture you're going to have. It's better than having no picture at all. Right. Um, weirdly enough, photography advanced at a time during outbreaks of cholera and tuberculosis. So fearful of their mortality, people embraced photography and the preserving the image of the dead loved ones. Yeah. And I heard that consumption is another word for tuberculosis, which is pretty funny. Consumption? Consumption. And tuberculosis. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It doesn't mean because it consumes the body? That's a good question. I have no idea. I'm not, I know because I know back then those, you caught that. They, they pretty much said, okay, yeah, it's over from now on. <laughs> it's over for me, dog. Yeah. It's sad, though, because like, now we have like all this medicine that could actually help with tuberculosis. True. Even though it's still difficult on the body with this medication, it can. it's much more, um, you know. Curable. Like, you won't die. Yeah. Uh, the later invention of the carte de visite, which, uh, which are pretty much little frame cards that you see in, like, vintage shops and mm-hmm. stuff like that of old pictures, it allowed multiple prints to be made from a single negative, which meant that copies of the image could be mailed to relatives. So, Christmas cards. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Ha, 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 I love that. So, approaching the 20th century, cameras became more accessible and more people began to be able to take photographs of themselves. Oh, and I was taking selfies. Yes, by taking selfies. Postmortem photography as early as the 1970s was taken up by artists and continued today. Artists include, in case you want to look up their work, Jeffrey Silverthorne, Hans Danuser, Hannah Wilk, Nick Wapping, British photographer Sue Fox, Nan Golden, and Andres Serrano's series, The Morgue. Researchers of this particular era argue that artists in America during the 1990s used post-mortem photography to fight against the increased medicalization of death. So, people have been studying more medicine when it comes to death. Like, um, kind of like, uh, yeah, pretty much anything that affected the body. So, that's what they used it for. Okay, facts. Yeah, like, um, doctors taking pictures of, like, um, bodies that had certain illnesses and bringing it to attention now that they could actually capture it. Right. Yeah. Researcher Jay Ruby's analysis of various styles in postmodern photography argues that key poses reflected cultural feelings towards death. So these are different poses that they would position their family members in. So one position being the last sleep. In the last sleep, the deceased eyes are closed and then lay as though in repose which Ruby argues reflects the American desire to associate death with sleep. So whenever you see them laying down, that's kind of like the American style. Facts. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Another position was that to have the deceased presented in a chair Mm -hmm. or arranged in a portrait to mimic life. Yep. The photograph would serve as their last social presence. In the Victorian era, it was not uncommon to photograph deceased young children or newborns in the arms of their mother. The inclusion of the mother, it was argued, encouraged ones to see through the mother's eyes. Quote, 
the desire to see through the mother's eyes and even identify with such pain would have been more potent at the time when the daguerreotype with the camera would be shown to friends and family who might have known the child and the family. So family members and photographer would also place certain objects in the picture to symbolize life, death, and the constant march of time. A drum symbolized the beat of the drum of death, of the end of life. Other symbols included an upside-down watch, which is kind of kind of cool, and hourglass or flowers, according to Burns' archives. So if you see like a little little thingies around, I've seen pictures like that before. And as soon as you said things to symbolize life, I was like, "There's a clock in there somewhere, and there's, yeah, and there's a flower in there somewhere." The drum that I didn't know. Yeah, the beating of the drum to death. Oh, well, I didn't know either. I thought it was kind of like pretty creative if you look at it it looks like oh, okay the victorians were a bit more hardcore about this honestly america's like oh they're just sleeping victorians is like nah they did but we just propped them up <laughs> okay so while some images have rosy tints added to the cheeks of the corpse mm-hmm. it is untrue that metal stands and other devices were used to pose the dead as though they were living so haha the use of an arm stand or armrest, which aided the living person to remain still long enough for the camera's long exposure time, gave rise to the myth. So they didn't actually use props to sit them up. I was going to say, I, don't, I heard that when I was younger, but then later on I heard that it was also false. So I was like, okay, so you do you catch them when they just rigor? They're stiff, dude. I'm about to say, you caught them when they was rigor. Yeah, oh, you okay. can pose them however you want and they'll stay like that, which is kind of creepy. Later photographic evidence showed the subject in a coffin. So that's when we started getting like very like gothic-y. Mm-hmm. Some very late examples showed a deceased in a coffin with a large group of funeral attendees. This style was especially popular in Europe rather than in the U.S. So they would kind of like pose everybody up. Like a family photo. Kind of, yeah. With the coffin and the dead body inside. I mean, if it's the last one <laughs> and the first one. <laughs> the first and the last one. Hey, do you. I guess, yeah. But in good old U.S. of A., post-mortem photography became an increasingly private practice by the mid to late 19th century. The now more private practice was studied by Jay Ruby, as we mentioned before, who was able to find limited information after the turn of the century because they were so private. So there wasn't a lot of evidence of post-mortem photography because everybody kind of kept it hush-hush. Uh, why? Because I guess, I mean, uh, to be fair, a lot of American culture is pretty hush-hush. Like, we don't really speak about a lot of things. Yeah. Like, for example, like, sex, sex education. We don't like talking about sex. Which is bad. Yeah. But this I don't get. I I don't know. I guess, like, I, I, yeah. Because if it wasn't uncommon, they wouldn't be like, oh, that's so creepy. Like, no, it was pretty kind of common knowledge around the world. I don't know. idea. We're weird. There's nothing taboo about this. We're weird. So they found, like, more information on the morning tabloids where the living were photographed surrounding the coffin of the deceased, sometimes with the the deceased visible in a photo during the 1930s. So she was able to find some evidence in tabloids. Uh, Barbara Norfleet investigated further and discovered the practice of post-mortem photography continued in America right up until World War II. Among rural and urban working and middle-class families, more in ethnic minorities. So uh, her conclusion centered on the work of African-American portrait photographer James Van Deer Zee in Harlem from 1917 to 1940s, whose um, Harlem Book of the Dead, which is an actual book, is a collection of post-mortem portraits of other African-Americans in Harlem over the course of his career. I know what I'm looking up later. (laughs) Uh, Again, for those who want to get it, it is called the Harlem Book of the Dead by James 
Van Dier Z. Z-E-E. Okay, see, that I did not know. Because the only, the only post-mortem pictures I've ever seen were of non-people of color. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand completely. Because that, they, again, in movies, they only show you, like, kind of, like, the Caucasian families. Yeah. Or, like, even if just articles. Like, the one when they said, oh, they might add something rosy to the cheeks. I saw a picture of a man and his wife. And her cheeks were extremely rosy yeah. in the picture, I guess, to give her more lifelike appearance. Quote, unquote. Yeah. I, I found that very interesting when I was reading that. I was like, wow, really? Like, mainly minorities? That's kind of, like, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, in Iceland, the popularity of professional postmortem photography in the Nordic countries peaked in the early 1900s and later died out around 1940s, transferring mainly to amateur photography for personal use. So instead of a you know, paying somebody a professional, they kind of took it themselves. Mm. Uh, when examining Iceland's culture surrounding death, it is concluded that the nation held death as an important and significant companion. So they were pretty chill with death, too. In the early 1900s, it wasn't uncommon to read a local paper's obituary section and find detailed information regarding an individual's death, including instances where suicide occurred, which is a taboo here in the U.S. as well. Yes. Um, unlike the very pride of America. Uh, I'm getting so sick of us. <laughs> we are annoying. This was indicative of the community's role in death before social norms shifted death to be a more private affair. Yeah, I don't know why we kind of... Death is a natural thing. First of all, why is it... Okay, look. If you drive past a cemetery, you might see mourners. You might see the coffin Oof. getting put in the ground. Yeah. Just by riding past in the car. It's not private. Okay, graveyards right there. Morning, morning can be private. Yes. Morning absolutely can be private. Death, nah. Yeah, I mean, I understand the creepy factor because death can be seen as very creepy and like discerning and unknown. Of course. But chill out, bro. It's not that deep. You can't keep it all for yourself. (laughs) Stop being so selfish. In the 1940s, there's rarely seen photographs of the deceased, their caskets, or gravestones. By the 1960s, there's almost no record of community-based professional post-mortem photography in Nordic society, with some amateur photographs remaining for the purpose of the family of the deceased. So, usually only, you'll probably find it in, like, a family home. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> you want me to take a picture of you dead and just post it all over the place? I mean, nah, but don't let the histories float away. I guess. That's true. In the UK, as far back as the 15th century, it was customary to portray the deceased through painting and drawings. This originated in Western Europe and quickly became a widespread practice throughout the continent, including Great Britain. These portraits were mainly restricted to the upper class, including monarchs and clergymen. Upon the emergence of photography, this traditional practice became financially accessible to a wide range of social classes. Again, more people were able to afford it. Postmortem photography was particularly popular in Victorian Britain. From 1860 to 1910, these postmortem portraits were much like American portraits in style, focusing on the deceased either displayed as asleep or with family. Often these images were placed in the family albums instead of up on the walls. The study has often been mixed with American traditions since they were like very similar. In India, people believe that if their deceased loved one is burned in Varanasi at the burning ghats or funeral pyres, their soul will be transported to heaven and escape the cycle of rebirth. Varanasi is the only city in India that has pyre burning 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. An average of 300 bodies are burned per day. 
Death photographers come to Varnasi daily to take photos of the recently deceased for their family and loved ones. These pictures serve as mementos for the family, but can also be used as proof of death. Okay. You know how in graduation, I don't know if you remember this, but during graduations or moments of baptism or communions and stuff like that, there will be like photographers outside the churches, yes. outside the school, be like, oh, we'll take a picture, we'll take a picture, here's my business card, and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. And you'll never see those pictures again. Nope. And like, okay, so clearly you put those in a catalog without my knowledge, and they're somewhere. Yeah. At least you're alive in that one. Yeah, in that one. <laughs> yeah. But that's post-mortem photography. Nice. I don't... Okay, I don't think it should be such a private thing. Like, oh, no, we can't tell anyone we do this. Like, nah, it's a clear business. We know what happens. It's fine. And you're not doing something bad. You're not, like, um, disgracing the body, desecrating the body, or, yeah. like... Posing with it, take like you know, duck face with the fucking body. Yeah, don't anything. do don't do duck face. Yeah, or no, stuff like that. No duck face. Don't throw up no you know hand signs or nothing. Yeah. Don't pose them to twerk. <laughs> Just get nice clothes, a little bit of rouge. Find some nice chairs. Yeah. You, you can put your little clock in the background if you like. Little clock, upside down clock, upside down clock. A little drum, a nice little drum. Yeah, that's fine. I found that very interesting the symbolism of postmortem. But it was very creepy, though, about how many kid pictures were there. There was more children pictures than there were for adults. Well, remember, a lot of kids died back then. Yeah, they didn't make it. A lot of kids didn't make it. Yeah. And then that means, again, first and last picture. It's very sad. And a lock of hair. Yes. And teeth. Yes. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, that's creepy, but I understand, though. I completely understand it. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and I understand okay you want a little you want baby teeth okay just please don't turn it why turn it into jewelry that's weird some people do that okay they turn teeth into jewelry mm, I mean again to each their own we're not that judgy people yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> that's why I'm gonna leave it at that <laughs> alright uh, thank you for joining us take the games Oh, yeah, we doing... Oh, yeah, I forgot we picking games today. <laughs> I didn't even have the bag ready. I got you, girl. I'm so tired. Yeah, I know. It's pretty late. And it's hot in here. Oh, yeah. I mean, we did kind of get distracted with um our nonsense, our craziness, our tomfoolery. Oh, my God. It feels full. Because it is. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I like to feel it. Okay. Chuck. Ready? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, mine's just really long. What the freak? I got the letter ritual. Oh, uh, this is a short one, the Colosseum. Okay, so since you have a short one, do you want to pick another one? Sure, I'll pick another one. I you got will, two. There will be two. Oh my god, what a special day. I will have to research two things. <laughs> I'll have to read two things. You are in for a treat that day. I hope they're... So... In two weeks, plan something. Like, if you have to do a deep clean, plan it around this episode with the two rituals, just in case. Long road trip. Plan it around that. Facts. <gasps> Shut up! I just... Oh, my God. The bus ritual. I don't know. I forgot what that one is, but it doesn't sound good. Oh, my God. And I'm, gonna, and I'm already enjoying this. Oh, my God. No, because I was just like, oh, a long road trip. Oh, what if you're on a bus? I take it back. Stay home. This is meant to be. What do you have? Oh, the, yeah, the letter. Here. The letter ritual. Ew. Eh. Right. I, 
I wish for a better reaction. <laughs> Listen, I'm already spent from last um, week's episode and our prior conversation, so I'm a little tuckered out. I understand. Okay, well, uh, thank you for joining us, and good night, Darklings. Bye. And you can send an email to we don't play podcast at gmail.com. Yes, you can also find us on Instagram at we don't play podcast. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at We Don't Play Pod. Yes, and you can listen to us on Castbox, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And Google Play Music. Yes, we are there too. Like and subscribe. Review and comment. We also have a Patreon. www.patreon.com slash we don't play.